Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Hello, Higher Purpose World. Have we got a treat lined up for you today. I first heard of this guy a few years back, but connecting at that time simply didn't pan out. Then a few weeks ago, I received an email asking if I would consider having him as a guest for a conversation here on the podcast. Well, since I first heard about Sean, he's written a book. And you know what that means. I had to get the book and read the book to make sure I'd feel good about recommending the book to you. And oh, I do the book. Meaningful Work, a quest to do great business, find your calling, and feed your soul. There's much more to this story, but I'll save that for now. Suffice it to say, Sean Eskinosi is here today, and that means the book passed the test. I'm so excited to welcome Sean to the Higher Purpose Podcast. He's the founder of Eskinosi Chocolate. Yeah, that got somebody's attention. You're wondering, did you say chocolate? Askinosi chocolate, the best chocolate I've ever consumed or ever enjoyed consuming. In 2005, Sean left a successful career as a criminal defense lawyer to start a bean-to-bar chocolate factory, and he's not looked back since. Askinosi chocolate is a small-batch, award-winning chocolate factory located in Springfield, Missouri, and they source 100% of their cocoa beans directly from farmers across the globe. This conversation, it is going to be delectable for you. This guy, Sean, and his company are infused with purpose, higher purpose. So lean in, sit back, enjoy this conversation. Sean, what a joy and delight to welcome you to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Thanks for joining me for this conversation today. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Can't wait. Oh, this is going to be fun. I told you in the the intro that this is going to be a uh, really delightful conversation. I'm going to do something during this call I've never done in a podcast before. I'm going to enjoy a piece of chocolate, Sean. So I got it here. I'm not sure when, but I'm going to enjoy it. So let's start here where I always start. There's so much I want to talk to you about, but before we jump in and begin all of that, let's ground our time together in the good soil of gratitude. So what is something that you're grateful for now? This morning, I'm trying to journal in the mornings. And after my prayer and meditation time this morning, and as I was journaling, I was actually writing that I was grateful for the aches and pains in my body this morning. I've been splitting a lot of wood lately, and my low back is hurting. And I was writing that I was grateful for those aches and pains because they reminded me that I'm alive Mm. and that I at least have a body, that I'm in this world and I can feel some of those aches. So I'm grateful for that. And I was also connecting it to, I don't know why today, but I was thinking about both of my parents who have died and neither of them lived to my age, which is 59. And I thought, you know, they might have liked some of 
those aches and pains and appreciated that. So that's something I'm grateful for today. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And I'll share something here. I don't always answer this question, but I was on a conversation with a good friend and coach, Christy Kern, before this. And there was a point in that she said, I want to ask you the question you always ask. What are you grateful for right now? And I'm like, oh, gosh. And we talked about a lot of things. And Sean, and maybe some of your book really helped me with this, which we'll get into. But I said, you know, Christy, I'm grateful for failing forward. And I've never said that before. You know, not everything works out the way we want it to. Mm-hmm. And I'm even seeking to redefine success and failure. Mm-hmm. But if things aren't working out the way I like, at least they're leading me forward, mm-hmm. leading me on. So kind of in that same, there are aches and pains, a different set of aches and pains. But hey, we're still in the game. We're still alive. Right. And it's just a good thing. So now, I want to dive into the deep end of the pool. I think that's what I want to do and not just start in the shallow end and wade out, but we'll come back in and and we'll fill in some details of your story and journey because why I'm so excited to talk to you is your whole life and your book is a quest for purpose and meaning. But without getting into your book right now, let me ask this about the title Mm -hmm. and your recent journey. The title is Meaningful Work, A Quest to do great business, find your calling, and feed your soul. So we're recording on Wednesday, May 20th, which is 10 weeks in to this global reset. 10 weeks ago today, March 11th, was when they declared the pandemic. So what thoughts or insights have you had over these last 10 weeks or even the time leading up to that that are causing you to go deeper or think differently about this quest for meaningful work, doing great business, find your calling and feeding your soul. The first thing that comes to mind is that this space and time from March 11th to now is what poet philosopher John O'Donohue would refer to as a threshold. Hmm. And it's one thing to look at a threshold in our rearview mirror, or even another to look at the threshold in front of us out the windshield, it's quite another to be in it. Yeah. And we are in it. And a threshold can be a dark place. It can be a place of fear. And it can be a place of panic, depression, anxiety, physical discomfort. And if we allow it, it can also be a place of teaching, awakening, and connection with our higher self, or as Thomas Merton would say, our true self. And so the thing about a threshold and that I've experienced in this one that we're in is that the threshold at the outset is not the same threshold today. And it probably won't be the same threshold in August. And I think that what we want to do in a threshold Mm. is kind of hold our breath and just wait for the end of the threshold out the other side. You know, everybody is saying, well, this too shall pass. And I think that myself, and this is going to be over and we're going to get out of this and we're going to have this treatment and we're going to have the vaccine and we're, 
even though what I'm getting ready to say is aspirational. It is not an absolute truth in my life. So it's aspirational. And it is that the deeper teaching is not in waiting for the end of the threshold, mm. but it's the acceptance of the present place that I'm in right now, today, with my own fear, which I have, and not resisting, as the Buddhists would say, the fear that's coming on because of the absolute place that I'm in right now in this threshold, or holding on to what was March 8th, yeah. <laughs> as the Buddhists would say. So I don't want to hold on, and I don't want to resist. And if I can just allow myself to be in the threshold, to be in the darkness, then I'm going to be okay. And that applies to my personal life and even maybe perhaps more directly to your question, it applies to my business. Yeah. It absolutely applies to my business, 100%. Well, let's unpack both of those paths a moment. You listed a long list of words there of things we might experience. I'm wondering, have you experienced all of those? And I'll raise my hand before, say, I've experienced all of those, Sean. Yes, yes, I have and do and probably will. I have. I mean, this is, let's talk to your audience hey, you guys, you're probably in one of three places in this threshold right now, depending on where you live, depending on your own spiritual path, depending on your work, if you have work. And that could be, you could be in a place of panic and fear. Mm -hmm. And you may not have really even taken very many steps at all in your, let's call it your path of awakening or return to faith or whatever it may be. That's one particular subset. The other subset are those who are, let's say, on the spiritual path. You're on the path of awakening, reawakening, you're reading, you have a practice, a daily practice. And then I would say there's a third group, which would be the masters. These are people we read. These are our teachers. These are the ones that we gain uh, wisdom from. These are people who, whether they're dead or living, that can, if I say, pray together and meditate together and actually improve the sort of world we live in. And so I would put myself, and you may also, Kevin, be in this middle group. You know, I'm not a master, but I'm also not a novice on the path. Right. You know, I'm on it, as you are. And so I think that depending on where you are, the tools that you should or could access would be different. Mm. And so for me in that middle path, I've experienced those things, you know, fear about, am I going to get this thing? Am, am I going to die? Am I going to not be able to see my grandchild? Am I, you know, all those things? And is my business going to survive? What if it doesn't, you know, I would have some fear around that in the beginning of this, not now, but so it's just kind of been, as I've described this, it's kind of a fear soup and it's got kind of a recipe of the day, you know, and today it'll be one thing and tomorrow it'll be something else. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm absolutely, man, I'm dealing with, you know, it's part of my morning practice for prayer and intercessory prayer and meditation. And this writing that we spoke of earlier is to, man, just take some deep breaths and work my way through this threshold. Yeah. I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation and you're bringing in this whole idea of threshold. I've heard that before, but I haven't really been mindful of it in 
I wish it were a moment. It's become a season. It wasn't a moment. You know, I think when it happened, and we have listeners from all over the world to this, but you and I are Americans, you know, and we were really good Americans. We could buckle down and we're probably thinking, oh, we'll be through this threshold in, I don't know, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, maybe 10 and at the outset, 12, you know, and here we are, it's week 10 and it's like, oh, we're not through it yet. This is going to be with us. I've actually told people, Sean, a few weeks ago, I was saying, oh, this isn't the new normal. The new normal's on the other side of this. Let's just get through this. Then we can talk about new normal. And all of a sudden I've had to realize, oh, we're going to be here long enough that this becomes a temporary new normal with still another normal yet to be experienced out there. But I love the juxtaposition. You know, the folks that want to hold on to what was or just get through it and go, wait a minute, no, we're in it. Yeah. And we've got to learn what it's like to be in it and how we adjust to being in it. Ah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, me too. You know, I want to hold on to the side of the pool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in the deep end, I'm like, I'll be fine right here. Just let me hang on to the side of the pool with the ladder in sight and think that, yeah, I mean, Hey, Think about this. They brought the Apollo 13 back with pencils, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, you and I thought, well, surely, you know, that artificial intelligence and augmented reality and machine learning and Watson and, well, you know, some AI robot's going to figure this out and we'll be done with it in a few weeks. We're America or even not just we're the world, you know, we can conquer this. And The other thing I would say, just because I don't want to not say it, is a whole other layer, I think, of this challenge and candidly fear is that not only in the beginning were we facing how bad is this pandemic going to be and how much will it hurt people and people will lose family members. And now we have that, plus 50 million people unemployed, plus... We have a deepening divide in the country between red and blue and liberal and conservative. And that troubles me almost as much as anything else because it just adds a whole other layer of, I think, anxiety for me anyway, about this pandemic and all of it. And so it's something I'm really trying to reconcile and work with because it bothers me and it's part of the darkness in my own threshold. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to keep talking about this. We'll see how that comes back into the conversation. You listening, if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know it's exceptionally rare when I've done a two-part episode. There's only one other time in 140 episodes to date that I've done it. Yesterday, as I was preparing for this conversation with Sean, I sent you an email, Sean, and the subject line, I've got a feeling. (laughs) And the feeling I had is that one episode wasn't going to be enough. And I asked, could you join me for a second episode? And you graciously said yes. Because I don't want to try to squeeze too much into this conversation and skim over some really powerful concepts. So I'm going to make some reference to your book now, but I don't maybe I don't know whether we go deep into your book now or come back, but you said something a moment ago and it just took me to a line in your book. And do you see all the notes? Oh, oh man. I want a picture of that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Page 143, you were telling the story of Liz, Elizabeth. 
And this line struck me because you just said, well, what if our business doesn't make it through, right? That's even a possibility. Mm -hmm. I realized that my business could fail tomorrow, but that we were a success. <clears throat> that is a powerful line. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about that a moment? Yes. This story you speak of with Liz was a young lady who my factory in Springfield, Missouri is located a block from our largest homeless shelter, was our largest homeless shelter. Now the homeless have been dispersed from that to other places in our community. But there were 80 kids a night in that shelter with their parents. And Liz happened to be one of them, but she spent several years there as a middle schooler in elementary school. And she recounted a story when she was applying to be part of our chocolate university program, where we engage young people in our business, elementary, middle, and high school kids in our business. And our high school program happens to be one where we take local high school students to meet with farmers in Tanzania. And she was applying to be part of the program. And in her essay, she wrote that she would bring her little brother down to our factory and, you know, block away. And we have a little storefront in the, fact, in the front of the factory and that whoever was working there at the storefront would give her brother and she samples of chocolate and talk to them and treat them as if they were someone. Mm. And when I read that in her essay, I was like, okay, we're done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whatever happens after that. <laughs> that is her story. What happened to her? I didn't know her. I'm sure I trained the person helped her and her brother up front, but they treated her and her brother as human beings, not waiting to see if they, you know, pulled up in a Mercedes or a Porsche or whatever. And so I thought, okay, we're done. That event happened. It's still part of the universe. It's not going away. My business could fall into a hole. It could not survive the pandemic. That is one of many things that I've written about in the book and then even had experiences since then that nobody can take away ever. It will survive. It doesn't matter your religion, your faith or whatever. These things, as we say, you know, shall survive the fire. Yeah. These are the real things like this story with Liz, not going away, no matter what. And what happens in the future with your business, however it grows, fails, it doesn't change that impact. That's what just reached out and touched my heart, Sean, when I'm reading that. Because it leads us to a different understanding of success than most of corporate America or business world embraces and elevates as a definition of success. Yeah. Joseph Campbell says, what people really want is they really want to know that they are joyfully alive. They want to experience the day or the time, this moment, in affirmation that we are joyfully alive. That's success. Yeah. Now, wow. another way of looking at that, I would say, is that can we in our day point to connection or divine union? And if that's possible, which it is, those are the Liz stories. They're not going to happen every day. I mean, we're going to work, supposedly, the math people say, you know, between 80 and 90,000 hours at work. Are all of those going to be in divine union with the creator? No. But there are ways that we can orchestrate moments and glimpses of divine union. And those, I would say, 
our success in whatever way we achieve those, that is success. Those are the things that will survive no matter what happens to us, our bodies, or our business. Oh my gosh. So you listening, you understand, that's what we do here at the Higher Purpose Podcast is have these kinds of conversation because what you're talking about really is to me the essence of higher purpose, of our work, of our being of our making meaning in life. It's this. So you use this word quest. Let's back up a little bit. We did jump into the deep end of the pool and you listening, you're capable of doing that. I want to talk about your quest a moment, specifically is how your quest might be illustrative or illustrative of how others might make sense of their quest. You know, this, it's your story to the degree that it becomes our story. So where would you like to start with that? Just hearing that question. And I'm going to take a bite of chocolate. Hey, <laughs> the, the way I would start is I would say to your listeners that my story affirms their story, your story, listener, that these notions of being in a career for a while and then finding another passion in a whole different career path is something that is not instantaneous. It's not a light switch. It's often, it's not automatic usually. And that this is a path, truly. It is sometimes very circuitous as mine was. Sometimes it's a struggle and sometimes it hurts and is painful and um, filled with all kinds of obstacles. And we could say, well, let's read you know, The Hero's Journey and talk about Joseph Campbell. But, you know, this is the real thing. I mean, this is the truth. It's not just, you know, Star Wars or classic literature. This is the truth, you know. Those of us who are searching often in our career for a new inspiration, new path, new career, we do find ourselves on a quest. Mm. And let's bring it back to what we were talking about earlier. What is this quest depending on? It's a threshold. Mm. That's what it is. And it's not all darkness, but it's the place where we learn. And so I would say that the quest is, look, reading a book, reading my book, that's not the quest. Listening to a podcast or watching YouTube, which I've done a lot lately, by the way, in this pandemic, you know, I've, I've been watching a lot of YouTubes about camping and campfires and how to survive in the wilderness, just to see how do you cook on a campfire? I love watching those. But that doesn't make me a better camper. In fact, my wife was, we have some land where we live and we have a creek and, and thank goodness, it's one of the things I'm grateful for. And I was trying to make a fire down there this weekend and she said, Sean, you've literally watched a hundred videos on how to make a campfire and you still can't make a campfire. <laughs> and so I'm digressing. But my point is that, hey, it's okay to not just think that our human stride is going to step from one thing to the next. Oh, it's possible. Yes, you can leave your job or your career and you can take a human step and stride to the next thing, but I would wager that you'll be right back where you started from and you'll be in a state of discontent if you don't do this work mm. on the path on the quest. So it's not like the scene from Wizard of Oz when you just step from black and white to technicolor in one step? 
You know, I can't even believe you just brought up the Wizard of Oz right before the podcast started. In fact, before I clicked join, I'm not kidding you, I spent the last 15 minutes researching the origins of the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh my God. Got the Wizard of Oz. Man, that is weird. Okay. That was a spontaneous comment. <laughs> you know, I mean, no, it's not like that. You're right. I mean, it's a great point, Kevin. I mean, it, and that's the thing with that song, which has been rated like the number one song of the 20th century, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. It's a song of hope. And the song itself is a song of journey yeah. and a song of path and quest. And when you realize that the song was written by uh, Jewish immigrants mm. before the Holocaust wow. and before the death of those Jews in concentration camps and that this was a song of hope. Anyway, it brings a lot of meaning to it. So yeah, it's not instantaneous. Okay, so your quest, I want to ask you to talk about your quest using these three words or how these words fit, sorrow, success, and serving others. I was a criminal defense lawyer for 20 years. I specialized in serious felony cases and kind of built my reputation in the defense of murder cases. I never lost a jury trial. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I loved it. I was called to that work. It was my vocation until it wasn't. And I'm sure your listeners can connect with what I'm saying. That is, I loved it. And then I didn't. I could have spent probably 10 years in therapy trying to figure out why I didn't, but I just didn't. And so I felt it in my body. You know, at first I felt it in my body. And, you know, when you go from the stakes are very high in criminal law, as high as you can get death penalty and loving that work, able to not only do it, but do it well and win to not loving it, it hurt. It hurt my heart, you know, not because I didn't believe in it, but just because I couldn't do it anymore. And so, you know, I thought that during that time in my life that I was successful, but I didn't really think about it as success. I mean, I was making a lot of money. I mean, my reputation was that of uh, not what it is now. You know, I was a different person then, but high profile, lots of media coverage. And my cases were, you know, covered by Dateline three times. Mm. And, or two Dateline specials. And, you know, I thought, hey, I can do anything. And this is it until it wasn't. And I later learned, and many people can understand this, that that wasn't success. I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't, you know, the money, the winning. It was just, I'd win a case and then it would just be, where's the next case to win? And so that was sort of the prelude to the just stepping onto the path of quest and onto the path of searching for my next inspiration and passion. And what I learned as I struggled with this, because I wasn't finding it in a book, I wasn't finding it, you know, by research, which is how I solved all problems as a lawyer was research and finding things and finding people and turning over stones and relentless work. And I thought that would provide the answers and it wasn't. So I ended up having to, you know, take antidepressants and I did go to therapy and I, it seemed the harder I was looking for my next inspiration, the further away it was. And eventually I came to this place where I knew that I was going to need to have a conversation with the sorrow in my life and the sorrow 
up to that point of my life had been the death of my father when I was 14. He died of lung cancer. He was a lawyer, my hero, and former Marine, physically fit guy, you know, could do more one-handed push-ups than you can imagine. And to see him dwindle away from cancer, you know, and then sort of stuff that down into my heart and just not open it up for 25 years and thinking, okay, man, I'm just going to go do my thing. I'm going to go be successful. I'm going to go win and achieve and make money, become famous in my own little criminal law world. And uh, that wasn't working for me. So I had to connect with the sorrow in my broken heart Mm. 25 years later. And I did that by volunteering in the palliative care department at a local hospital. And that's hospice in the hospital. So they'd give me a list of patients on Fridays to go visit who were dying. These people were in cardiology, neurology, oncology, wherever. Sometimes there'd be five patients, sometimes 20. And I would do it on Fridays, and I did it for almost five years. I'd go into the chapel before I visited the patients, and I would just pray over that list of people I had not met yet. Then I would go visit them and just knock on their door. I was just a volunteer, a stranger. Some of them had seen me on the news, and it kind of freaked some of them out when they would see me and they were like, wait, what's this law you're doing here? What do you, you know? So that was kind of an icebreaker, but I would just visit with them about whatever they wanted to talk about. You know, sometimes they had family in the room. Other times they were alone. They were not in good shape, you know? And I would always conclude my little visits with them by asking them if they wanted me to pray for them. And this is really where the sorrow meets the road in our story. And because they were dying, they would say, yeah, I'll take a prayer. Almost everybody did. And I would say, well, what would you like me to pray for? And this question, this simple question, what would you like me to pray for? Is something I've learned. I learned from that. I apply it to this very day when I pray for people. I almost never start off my prayer. Never. Just pray if they want me to pray for them. I want to know what they want me to pray for. And the reason this is so important to me is because when my dad was dying and he had this cancer, lung cancer for two years, is the prayer group would come over to our house. Now I'm 12 at this time. They would speak in tongues and preach, or they would pray very loudly and they would condemn Satan and command that he leave his body and claim his healing. And they said he was going to be healed. And the leader of the church prayer group said, Sean, Don't ever talk with your dad about death, because if you do, it's going to be a sign of doubt, and Jesus won't heal him. So I didn't. And when my dad wanted to talk about it, I pushed him away. And the night that he died, I was with him, and he had just come back from actually a church retreat at a Trappist monastery near my house, and uh, the cancer had gone to his brain. He died right there in front of me, and I I couldn't believe it. I was begging God, please don't let him die. Please, please, God, please, please let him live. And he died. And man, that's sorrow. That's a broken heart right there. And you know what? My broken heart, your broken heart, the people who are listening who have broken hearts and pretty much all of them do. And if they don't, then they need to go get one. And the thing of it is, so I said earlier, I said 25 years later, I'd go visit these people and I would say, to these dying patients, you know, what would you like me to pray for? And I would repeat their words right back to them. Maybe they wanted healing. I didn't judge that. Their bodies could be riddled with cancer or whatever. 
I would pray for healing in their words. Mm. Maybe they would pray for death so they could be relieved and go on. And I would pray for that, whatever they did. But the thing that I want to emphasize about this is that in this world, on earth, in this fleshly body that we've been given, we view things, because it's part of our created reality, with chronological time. Yeah. Well, I believe that the kingdom of heaven and the eternal space is not bound by time or space at all. It's not. And the experience with my father at his bedside when I was 14, and then 25 years later when I'm with a person in the hospital, or even to this moment when I'm speaking with you, that's not 45 years later. It's 45 milliseconds ago. It's a blink of an eye. You just blinked your eyes. It's a blink ago. The broken heart is there. It's right here. It's right, right with us. And it will be with us. It's part of us. It's not something we stuff down. It's not something we get over. And so I say, hey, broken heart, come on, man. Be a part of me. Teach me a new language. Help me. Be my companion. Connect with my true self. Join with the Holy Spirit in my life, the true self. And what can we do? What can we learn? And and where will we be when we are not in this fleshly body? How will those things survive and be part of the eternal space? Okay, thanks for sharing that, Sean. I want to lean into that a little more. And I love that you quote Khalil Gibran in your book. And you talk about our greatest joy is sorrow unmasked. Yes. So let's not leave people in a pit of despair. Yes. Sorrow's real. Sorrow's part of life. Yes, it is. But it is the path to joy. It is. So the way I would do this is I would go visit the patients. Then at the end of the day, I'd go back to the chapel, and I would say a short prayer over the time that I'd had. And then I would walk out to my car, and sometimes, not all times, walking to my car, leaving the front doors of the hospital, I felt as if my feet weren't on the ground. This is one of the strangest experiences of my life ever. And it's like they were three or four feet off the ground. It was as if I was levitating almost, walking. Then I get my car and it would kind of leave. But what was that? Well, it was joy. It was immeasurable joy. It was the joy that was flourishing from the depths of the sorrow in my life. So many people have said, golly, that's morbid, you know, going to pray with dying people. No, not for me, because it was the place where I could unmask the greatest sorrow in my life and unmask it in a way that would give me, you know, joy like that I've never experienced. You know, I I don't tell this in the book, and I didn't talk about this on my TED Talk, but there was this time when I was praying for this man who was in the ICU and he was in a coma and he was actively dying. They were waiting for some family members to arrive and his bed was inverted. They were trying to raise his blood pressure. Nurses were all around working on him. And I used to be intimidated by that when I would first go in because I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I just wanted to be very small and not bother them. I put my hand on his arm and mind you, this guy was dying. He was not conscious. 
And I put my hand on his arm and I started reading to him from the book of John, just very quietly out loud. And tears started running down the side of his face. And I was like, what is happening? You know, I just kept and I was praying for him. Then I felt two hands on my back, two hands on my shoulder. And I thought, oh, well, maybe there's a doctor or nurse, you know, that's knows that I'm praying or reading and has joined me in that, you know, to put their hands on me while I put my hand on this guy's arm. And I felt two hands mm. turned around, nothing there, nobody, nothing. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I get goosebumps just even recounting that story. And that's joy. That was what we were talking about earlier. That was a glimpse of the divine. It was that breaking through and the kingdom of heaven was present at that moment and those moments when I was leaving. So yes, this joy is not only possible, this joy is wanting to explode out of our sorrow and our broken heart. We have to be willing and open to finding that pathway. This is the work. This is our work. Wow. I'm just processing here a moment, Sean, trying to discern where to go next with this conversation. I'm glad that we're already teed up to have a second one. We are going to go deeper into some of these concepts around work, meaningful work. Now I want to ask you something because you remember the last three words you write in the book? I know he's human, talking about Father Cyprian. It can all be reduced to this. I want to be like him. Yes, I know he's human and imperfect like all of us, but I pray that someday I can answer someone's simple question of how are you doing in the same way he does to look the person in the eye with a genuine smile and say, I am flourishing. I am flourishing. Let's talk about flourishing a moment because in my journey, this is a relatively new way I've articulated. Business thrives when and where humans flourish. Mm, I love that. I love that. Business thrives when and where humans flourish. So I'm not sure if I read the word flourish in your book that much. The concepts are there. And then as I was finishing your book, I look at those last three words. I am flourishing. Yeah. But let's conclude this part of the conversation talking about flourishing and what does that look like? And how might you listening either be experiencing that now or an invitation that flourishing awaits you. Father Cyprian is 90 now, and he's been a monk since 1952, praying the Psalms every day. So in a two-week period, they will have chanted all, what, 150 Psalms. And he's been my spiritual director and working with me for 20 years. I'm very connected to him. And I would say it like this. Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, says that the greatest freedom of humanity is the choice that we make in response to the stimulus in our lives. This is the place of freedom. And so I think that this notion of flourishing as a person is wrapped up in that concept that Viktor Frankl writes about. And by the way, Cyprian was the one who told me to read that book. <laughs> but So this means that no matter our circumstance, 
regardless of the struggle and regardless of the darkness in the threshold, in the valley, or as the place of Paschal mystery, as the Catholics would say, which is the valley. It's the place of death before resurrection. That we can flourish. I mean, Viktor Frankl proves it, but we can flourish even in the valley. You and me, man, we can flourish right now in the middle of this threshold, like you were saying before, the new normal, when's that? It's today, man. It's today. We can flourish in that. And so that's our aspiration. And we know that it's possible. And so we work toward it, but we're not too hard on ourselves on the days that we mess up. Mm. Wow. So the way I've been describing my life lately is that every day I bounce between these two polar spectrums, floundering and flourishing, (laughs) floundering and flourishing. And almost every day, I think every day I tilt a little more towards flourishing than floundering. And that's a good thing. Yes, indeed. We're going to wrap this conversation up in just a moment. There is another one that follows. You'll be able to hear that next week in episode 149. But I want you to just say that again to you listening. Flourishing is not on the other side of this threshold. No. There will be flourishing then, yeah. but don't wait for that to flourish. People can flourish right now, today. Absolutely. This notion, because as you said, that, I forgot exactly how you put it, but this notion of thriving. Yeah. It describes where humans flourish, when and where humans flourish. Yes, I love that. And I'm going to need to write that down and not forget it. But The thing of it is, this I think if I were to say and wrap everything up to your listeners, and my message would be, don't wait. Please don't wait. We know that we must experience the here and now. We must be able to surrender to the moment and not just survive the moment, But we know from our teachers that we can flourish in the moment, no matter what. We can do it. But if we wait for it, for tomorrow and the next day and the next day, it it won't ever come. It'll never be. And when we think it is, it won't be good enough. It won't be enough. Oh, and I can't wait to pick that. I don't know if we'll start with that, but that's a beautiful question that we will entertain in our next conversation. How much? is enough. Sounds good. John, thanks for joining. Thank you. Is there something you want to say, something else before we go that closes this for you? And then I also invite people where they can connect you and how they can connect with you and how they can get some of the world's best bar to bean chocolate. Well, thank you for asking that. Askanosi.com is our website, and that's a great place to learn about our little business. We only have 18 people. It's a family business, and we'll talk more about that maybe in the next time. But they can go to the website, and we ship chocolate all over the country, and we've gotten pretty good at it after 14 years. And also, I have a little blog at seanaskenosi.com, and people can read more about the book there and uh, some of the things I write about, and people can connect with me there. My email is there. Hello at seanaskenosi.com. I answer the emails and happy to answer questions or engage with people in conversation. And I look forward to it. Thanks for joining, Sean. Thank you. Wow. 
Sean, thanks for joining. What a rich, surprising conversation for me. It unfolded in ways that I had not really envisioned or imagined, but oh, I'm so glad they did. This idea that we started with of being in on a threshold and some of us wanting to go back, some of us longing to go forward, but we're in this threshold. Lean into the threshold and discover all you can from being in this threshold now. And then where we ended the conversation, this whole idea of flourishing, recognizing that if you and I are to flourish, there's only one place we flourish. It's in the here and now. This is a conversation. It's a quest. And I love Sean sharing his quest. And I know this about you because I know this about all of our listeners, we're all on this quest. We all, we all, if you're listening to this podcast, you have a longing to do meaningful work, to be part of a great business, to find your calling and feed your soul. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. I hope it inspires you to some kind of reflection, to some kind of action that it invites you to reflect on the sorrow that you have experienced because your greatest joy is your sorrow unmasked. Hey, join back next week. Sean returns. We have part two of this conversation. It's a different conversation. It goes deeper into the book, Meaningful Work. You know, you always have an invitation to reach out and connect with me. You can do that by email, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. You can call or text me at 678-744-5111. You know, I know that you are a way maker and you are making your way forward now. If you need help on that journey, reach out to me. I believe I can help you. Thanks for being a difference maker and keep making a difference for others. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.